0: back. We'll be right back. Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with Quinn Gable from the class of 2010, travel guide and visual storyteller. Quinn will share with us how since leaving WeGo, she's gone on to win a national championship at volleyball and has led Corporate events with over 30,000 attendees. But now she leads the life of exploring the world and sharing her experiences with her over 800,000 followers on social media and subsequently has caught the attention of corporate sponsors like North Face to fund her future adventures. Links to where you can find all of Quinn's work will be posted on the Podbean page or just search Quinn Gable on TikTok and Instagram to jump in to see her amazing travels. Joining us from the class of 2010 is Quinn Gable. Quinn, can you tell us what you do?
1: Hey, everyone. Um, First off, thank you so much for having me. Very excited. Um, So currently, I am a content creator, um, and I specialize in content creation for van life education, solo traveling as a woman, um, and I have a lot of, you know, cat stuff mixed in there as well.
0: But let's start from the beginning. Where did you go after WeGo?
1: Yeah, so I went to Wittenberg University in Ohio to play volleyball. Um, so I played volleyball I- at Wittenberg, and actually we won the national championship. So I was like, that was a great yes. decision. Amazing. <laughs> um, so I studied communication and sociology there. And then from Wittenberg, I had interned for a couple of summers at a hair magazine called behindthechair.com. And I ended up staying there for eight years. So I was a um I started in as an editorial intern then moved to account manager where I was managing all the advertising campaigns for clients like Redkin, American Crew, Bumble and Bumble. And then I moved into um, marketing and I was the marketing director of that magazine. And then I moved into event production. So it's been, it was been quite the, um, the journey in the corporate world. And then during It was actually crazy. So, when the pandemic happened, I was in the middle of planning. Um, We had just done our first tour on the road for a, we were celebrating our 20th anniversary for the company. And we did, we wanted to do a nine city, three country tour. And so we were on the very first one in New York when the state of emergency happened. And all of a sudden that next week, it was like, okay, fly back to Chicago, um, batten down the hatches, be prepared, Quinn, cancel all of the events, and then move back into your marketing position. And when I moved back into the marketing social media position, which I'm so grateful I was able to keep my job, we had just hired two undergrads who knew all about TikTok I I knew nothing about TikTok. And so I kind of was like, all right, we, I know we need a TikTok, so why don't you guys go ahead and manage it? And then on the side, I'll do TikTok so that I can learn and not try to be your boss and you know, your, your, I, I don't know anything about this, so I'm going to learn about it. So once I learned about it, I started posting my own videos just from market research, what I enjoyed doing. Um, and from there, it was this weird kind of like blow up on me traveling solo as a woman because I have a lot of experience with that with work or extracurricular. And then I just started like teaching my cats how to hike because we were all a little bored during the pandemic. And about a nine months later, I kind of said to my boss after eight years of working for corporate, hey, there's this thing called van life. I really want to take a sabbatical and do van life at, for six months and then see where You know, the world is in six months, and then maybe if, you know, my job is still available, can I come back? Well, six months later, I end up getting from, you know, a couple hundred, you know, a couple thousand followers to over 500,000 followers, um, which I currently, I believe I have like 1.3 million across all uh, Mm -hmm. platforms. And I'm working with Under Armour, and I just did a campaign for the North Face and T Mobile, and it, I ended up not going back to work corporate and instead I started my own marketing company. And so that's where I'm currently at now is I do photography, videography um, for brands, um, for, for brands who, who want that from me.
0: (laughs) I love going back to the various different ways in which you have this really kind of pollinated experience where not only were you a sociology major, but then when you, you uh, went to, work at uh, your next job is that you were able to kind of see from different vantage points, effective communication, and then you were able to kind of roll that into your persona online. And you were so reflective on what your next move was very deliberate in most things, which obviously you have to be very deliberate. If you're going to do a van life uh, type of approach, nothing can be um, off the top of your head. You have to be very meticulous in, in your planning uh, with all of that. Um, but I, I, if I want to go back just a little bit to your glory days at at Wittenberg, yeah, um, what was it like being like a, a national champion like that? I can't imagine like this is gotta, it's got to be incredible to the extent like this is what I love doing in terms of playing this sport, but and achieving the highest level of that. Um, I was, kind of walk me through um, your your career as a collegiate athlete,
1: yeah. Well, it was it was great at West Chicago because I feel like I played every sport known to man there. So I I loved I was more athletics driven. And so going into school, I was recruited to play by them. And once I got there, it was um, I was only one of two freshmen. And everyone else was significantly older than me on the team. And it was great to come in and see this just powerhouse of a leadership and community um, on this team. Like there was, you were not going out, like freshman year, I really was blessed because you know, everyone talks about, you know, freshman 15 or freshman mistakes that people make. Well, I had a whole community and a team behind me and they really helped like, you know, drive my, I don't know, drive my, my focus as it because athletics was first when I was a collegiate athlete you had to have your grades if you didn't have your grades you didn't play um, if people saw you out you you didn't play it was you were focusing on the dream and the dream was to win a national championship and so to work so hard at something and to do that oh it was the best to finally see that like actually come to I don't know it, it was amazing it was amazing <laughs>
0: Where, where was the final game? Like where? Like what? Walk me through the drama of of, of where it was and and all that. Do you remember?
1: Yeah, it was at um, Wash U um, in Missouri, and I just remember like we went to the, what is it? The Elite Eight dinner, and then the next uh, day we played, we won, and then the next day we played. And we were about to lose the game and we came back, like the third game, which we would have won, which we play out of five in in college. And we were about to lose. And a couple plays later, we were like tied and then we were up one. And I think it it ended up being like 20... 30 to 28. And so we had gone a couple points over. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing.
0: That's, I mean, emotionally exhausting and, and, but the, the thrill of that victory, like just the way you said, coming from a deficit and, then and then winning it all. I mean, Mm -hmm. incredible.
1: Um,
0: all right. So that's, so that, that was clearly amazing. Um, now did you, did you do any study abroad while you were, um, uh, at, at Wittenberg?
1: Yes, I went to um I went to Copenhagen. And the reason um to Copenhagen, Denmark. And the reason I picked Denmark out of all the really cool places to to study abroad in was because they had, um, instead of having uh, like just prof- like professors teaching it, it was actually, they were all corporate. So, in the communications department, because I studied strategic communications, the, the person who was our, our teacher, our professor, was in the process of managing a crisis communication between Burger King and IKEA. So, he was like giving us like real world examples from what he was doing in class. And like, he, it was interesting because he wasn't a teacher, he just was this corporate guy who wanted to teach, um, what he, you know, on his side. And so that is why, one of the reasons why I studied abroad in that particular area. It was so cool seeing these like real world, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. And I was like, I want to put myself in all of these really uncomfortable situations where I'm hearing from people who are doing these, you know, day-to-day jobs and like, what, I, what do I like? What do I not like? So that's, yeah, I loved studying abroad in Copenhagen.
0: It it seems to be kind of like a a theme that I I see in a lot of things that you do is that you find comfort in knowing that it's okay to be uncomfortable and knowing that the growth kind of comes from that. Do you know when that first that became kind of either an explicit thing for you to do, uh, in what drives you? Like when, when did that become just part of your ethos to, to, to know that it's okay to, to, to feel uncomfortable because on the other side of that is going to be something that's going to be really rewarding.
1: I love that you picked up on that because it's, it sounds so cheesy, but on the back of my graduation cap in college, literally the quote that I had, because everyone had quotes was life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Um, yeah. and I don't know when that started. I just know that every time I, I put myself in an uncomfortable scenario, I grew from it and I was able to either pivot or, cause you learn from failures. If you're not failing, you know, every single day, then, then you're not really learning a lot. Like I remember I, I moved to LA, um, right before the pandemic, I ended up only staying there about a month because it was the pandemic and I remember telling myself okay Quinn this is terrifying that you live in LA but every single day you need to make sure someone says like no to you or like ask something that sounds uncomfortable because then you kind of get this like balance of you start getting used to people you know telling you no and then you figure out how to make it a yes type of thing I don't know you just put yourself in more and more and more uncomfortable scenarios and you end up better because of it but I don't know I don't know when it started
0: yeah, it's because it, it. You can really see like just everything that you described there just really kind of fits that. So, and, and again, you are you 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 know that you are ultimately the beneficiary of that, and that 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 has become part of your uh, your daily philosophy. It really seems like that's had some incredible benefits. Uh, and yeah, maybe it's fear so, of
1: regret. That could be it. Like I don't want to yeah, like look back yeah. in my life and be like, maybe I'm led more by the fear of like like even in van life. Like I I didn't want to continue wondering, you know, I was like, if if it fails, I'll figure it out. But at least I know I tried.
0: (laughs) So then you come back from uh, this incredible internship where you really get to see the way in which a professional operates and how they go through and solve problems, anticipate them and get creative and all that just sounds like an incredible experience. But just one more follow up question. What was it like living in Europe uh, in, in, in a Scandinavian country like that? And what were some of the things that you really enjoyed about it?
1: Ooh, um OK. First and foremost, the Danish culture is very blunt and upfront. Um, they had right on the first day of orientation, it, they had mentioned how in the Danish language, you do not have the word maybe, and you do not have the word please. If you want something, ask for it. If you're not going to something, tell someone you're not going, don't give them a maybe. And I, and I find myself to be a very indecisive person. And that was incredible about the Danish culture. I was like, okay, straight to the point. I will try. Um, but living in Europe was, I mean, I thought I hated Cities until I moved to Europe. I thought I was going to be a suburb girl for life. Um, not that that's bad. Everyone to each is their own, but I fully hated. I did not like Chicago. Um, I didn't like New York when I traveled. I just felt very uncomfortable. And when I lived in Copenhagen for six months, I was taking the train, I was taking the bus, I was meeting new people, I was going to school in a city. I really fell in love with the idea that I could simply walk down the street and go to Wal- Walgreens, go shopping, um, meet friends for drinks and I didn't have to drive anywhere. And when I first, you know, got back to Chicago after that, I was like, oh my gosh, I absolutely want to live in a city. I love the aspect of just living in such, you know, you can get anything that you want in the city and you can walk there and you're so dependent upon yourself as opposed to like the suburbs is amazing. There's an incredible amount of space in the suburbs, but that's, that's what I learned about, um, being in Europe is just how, easy it is to get from point A to point B just because I hadn't really previously lived in a city. Um, It was great to meet international friends. Um, That was really interesting too. And like having that different um, culture that you, you know, weren't really used to. Um, And then just traveling so freely by yourself. I think I did when I was in Copenhagen, I went to maybe 10 countries um, and majority of them were solo. And I just kind of like put myself in those positions and I, and I had no idea what I was doing, but like, if I wanted to go to Belgium, I could just take a train, you know, to Belgium or, or fly over to, you know, Italy for a couple of days. So that was really cool um, to be able to get that experience um, relatively, you know, if, if I'm very privileged to have studied abroad and if anyone can, I say, take that opportunity.
0: So you come back and then you, you, you said you had this internship at, is, I'm sorry, was it behind the chair? Yep. 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 Okay, so behind the chair and you, you looked like you really found so many cool ways to, again, I think I used the word before, like to, to kind of pollinate and kind of like get better at marketing or get better at some other part of, of the company. Did you, did, where did you find like your, your, your aptitude most while you were there for your, I think you were there eight, nine years. Where, where did you find your, your best comfort zone?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. I loved running events. Um, do you mean like of, of all the jobs and the positions that I had? Which one? Yeah, all the
0: jobs want? within the, with the, within the company. Yeah.
1: So it was all multifaceted. So it it what I loved about that company is the the owner really loved hiring um, younger right out of college, um, just because new fresh ideas, and then she would sort of you know shape them, and and I think a lot of other we were all there so long. The retention was so great in that company because she truly cared about like seeing us grow and in what areas she wanted to grow in and um, or we wanted to grow in. So when the event position opened up, I immediately went for it because I love – I'm really good in high-stress situations from what I've learned. Um, or maybe I just crave them. I don't know. Um, and I loved the fact that I could go and I could tour an event – and, or tour of venue. So let's say, so I've done a couple shows at the Chicago theater. And when I went to the Chicago theater, you, a vision like comes into your head about, okay, this is how I could create something for the audience. This is when they, when they enter, this is the vibe. This is the mood. This is how the, the, it's going to be run. This is like, I just, I loved people pleasing in, in the aspect of, I'm going to create this for you and I really hope you have a great time. So that was my favorite part of doing it. And then the flip side is I loved the marketing aspect of it now, which is my job, is because you can see what works and see what doesn't work. Um, When I make my videos, not recently, but when I first started off making my videos, I used a lot of research um, and I already knew that the video was probably going to go viral because of the research. And if it didn't go viral, I'd be like, okay, how can I make this video but better and make it go viral? So I think the event production was my favorite and then the market research of what what does everyone want? What is popular? What do people need education on? Um, how can this, you know, marketing company um, be better type of thing and like learning from your mistakes. So that's, is that the answer you're looking for? I don't know.
0: Absolutely. Cause I mean, my mind is like, you know, firing off, you know, follow-up questions with that because like on the one hand in, in event planning, you have to I I think I saw somewhere that like some of these events were in the tens of thousands of people that you were bringing into some of these events. So you have to, it's kind of like, you know, they have to have something that they're excited to, to travel. I mean, the Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people aren't just going to go and not, that there's going to be some benefits to that so the pressure of that is to deliver uh them Mm -hmm. that um and so what what did you find to be the most uh, effective part of creating that user experience for the attendees that you knew that yeah i nailed it they they got what they came for
1: i think community and education um and bringing home a feeling that you can't really describe like the, mm. the so hairdressers in general, I'm I love hairdressers. I'm not a hairdresser, but it was so fun working in that industry because everyone is just so passionate about life. Uh, I mean, their jobs are to make you look amazing and feel amazing, and I love that. They're such selfless people, and so creating a community in which people can be vulnerable and be seen and I think is the most important because we want to make sure that we're doing whatever, you know, is going to make them feel confident in their jobs. They're going there to be re-inspired on their passion so that they can go back into work and be like, I just came up, I just learned so many new ways that I can make, you know, Susie look eight and feel 800 times better about herself and, and 800 times better about my craft. So, um, and then just learning, like if one year didn't go well, then polling your audience and being like, what, did, what didn't what did you like about this event? What, would you come back and why? And then making sure that you're listening. Um, so I'm not sure like what the secret sauce was for our for our events. I just know that we tried to listen as best we could on what people really needed. And that was less about, you know, flashy, flashy, show, 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 party every night and more about genuine... Connections um, and being seen and being heard and and being vulnerable throughout the entire weekend.
0: I mean, obviously, the the pandemic threw a, a major monkey wrench into all of all of the the plans because you were going to go on what was seemingly kind of a world tour uh, mm-hmm. for all of this. Um, uh, it, most people wouldn't see the the, the pandemic as as a, a blessing in disguise in in some ways, but the the pivot that you were able to do uh, off of this uh, has really opened up so many avenues that you were you had a life experience and and skill set and personality that are that seem to be very. Suited for this next uh, this career that you're currently in with with that. Um, you, you said that you you started off and you took a, a sabbatical and all that, but you said that there's I think I, I think you used the word that there was like a a bump or a lift somewhere when you were starting off uh, this particular uh, content creation for the TikTok that you're making. Do you remember what that was like? Where all of a sudden, where wow, all of a sudden I have this went. Even more viral than anything else. Do you remember what that particular video was, or what was happening in that particular moment that all of a sudden kind of put you into a different uh, echelon?
1: Yes. Um, so when I was doing this like research project about what works on TikTok, what people want to consume, I was posting a bunch of really pretty like landscape videos of just like you taking out like you know me taking out my phone and then just doing like a one pass like oh pretty sunset or cool sharks in the water and and I thought that was going to go mega viral and they all tanked. So then I looked back and I was like, okay, what do people want to see? And I was like, okay, here like I get a lot of like compliments on my hats. Um, because I have a really, like I have a hat collection and I still maintain the hat collection in the van, but that's a funny story, not for now, but like, um, people really like my hats and they liked that I got them customized with my initials on them. And, and random people in passing would always tell me, Oh, cool initials on your hat. I'm like, okay, cool. So randomly one day I was living at my dad's house at the time because I had moved um, out of LA cause I didn't want to pay rent. Um, so I moved in with my dad for a year. Um, and I was sitting on the couch and I was like, I'm going to make, I've never done this before, but I did broadcasting um, for when I ended up leaving volleyball because I didn't play my senior year. Um, I became a color commentary broadcaster for all the women's sports um, in college. And I, I love talking. Like I'm, I'm a big chatter. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put together a video explaining the process of, okay, you know, I go into this store, I have this hat. They brand my hat with my initials and whatever other designs. I think that's the coolest thing. So I just made a video about it, a random video, and it blew up. I mean, it wasn't mega viral, but I would say it had about a million views on it. And it was wow. me for my voiceover. And so then from there, I'm like, okay, this voiceover thing could really work. And I and I like doing this. So then from there, I was like, what what's the next video that I can do? Well, I love traveling. I just got back from Bali six months ago in 2019 at the time. Why don't I make a video about all of the things that you can do in Bali in 14 days? So I made a, um, a video, 14 days in Bali in 60 seconds. Because um, I like kind of clickbaity things. Because like in school, you're taught for journalism, like you put the juice at the very top like that that is what you do first and then you know give them the details so the clickbaity you've got your you know 14 days in bali in 60 seconds and then i just i just walked them through it and then that put me on the map then i think from that video alone i just started getting tens of thousands of followers um and then I did videos on, you know, solo travel as a woman. Here's where I've, you know, Iceland's the safest country I've ever been or felt safe in. Here's why. And from there, it just kind of sparked. And it was whenever I tell people, because they'll ask, like, how can I do this too? I just tell them to sit down and list all of the things that they can talk about solidly for five minutes Once they write down their list and they have their list, then they go to a website called, um, I think it's answerthepublic.com. And you put in, okay, so I'll put in like um, van life. Then I go into van life inside of the answerthepublic.com. And then they give you all of these search engine questions that people are asking, the most popular ones. And then you just make videos about that. So I'm like, my job is not that hard um, if you want to go viral, you just use research to go viral. So that was a very long winded answer to your question, but that was. Uh, no, that's fascinating,
0: though, that, that, that the tool there really is to basically go to what has what What is the kind of consensus of what people are curious about? So, if AnswerThePublic.com is serving up the itch, you are just simply providing the scratch of what that is for what they want. So that is in the um, niche that you
1: feel confident in speaking about. Because there's a million things that, like, I don't know that I would love to understand. um, That I do get on TikTok. People who who teach me things on TikTok, like, I will follow them. But you're not going to follow people if they don't provide anything for your life. So you have to figure out like, what do you provide and then go from there.
0: Yeah, I think that's really well, I think you're right. There is that type of intellectual curiosity that is, that needs to be, it has to be more than that. If they're going to stick around uh, for that, that, you know, they're going to want, especially if it's the niche that you're uh, talking about. Um, and it, what I found to be interesting about, um, I think it was the video that is on the front of the your YouTube channel page, is you walking through the whole decision-making process of all the cool gadgets that are in your van and Mm -hmm. how uh, deliberative, every part of it, whether or not it's, you know, the, the cutting out of the mattress or the bench that folds out from the door and and all of those things, nothing, nothing is an accident. You have to like to live this life. You have to be very, um, uh, if you're going to enjoy it, you don't want to have to have a mistake, take you three days out of the way to fix it. So you Mm -hmm. have to kind of play three chess moves ahead with all of that. As I was reading that it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes about creativity, the director. And I, I use this sometimes in the interview because I, I hear it so often. The director, Orson Welles, uh, he did uh, um, this um, uh, movie called Citizen Kane. And he said, the uh, the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. And I, and, and I was thinking about how your van so much embodies that because you're always finding new ways to enhance your experience w- within that. What, what, how do you then find the the time and the resources to begin to tweak the van for all of these things? It's such a fascinating process.
1: Um, I, I don't know. I honestly don't. Van life. It's so funny. Like I always tell people going into van life, they're like, Oh, is it always as glamorous as it seems online? And I was like, no. And that's why I make so many videos where it shows how not glamorous it is. But, um, I get help from the community a lot. Like a lot of it is just community sharing and community resources. So like last weekend I did – I went over to Moab because it was a friend's birthday, and there was probably thirty vans in a circle um, celebrating, you know, um, one of our friends' birthdays. And we would just like pop into other people's vans and be like, "Whoa, okay, so how do you use this? Like, what's this for?" Like, I saw so many dog gates that were attached to people's vans, and I was like, "Oh, how'd you make this? Could you make it for me?" Like, so it's it's honestly just looking at everyone else's and then seeing what you want. Cause I, I had builders build out my van. Um, I didn't build it out just cause I didn't have the the tools or the area or just like the time I wanted van life and like, I wanted it now. Um, and, but, but from there, it's all just a community based, like right now, um, it's actually so funny. So I'm at my dad's house right now. And because one of my builder friends in the van life community is fixing up My van because we're just we're trying to redo the back doors the roof just because it's been almost two years in that van so it definitely needs a bit of a cleanup
0: (laughs) and like and when is there one particular part that gets the most wear in van life like so when I mean because I mean you're you're living in it. So like, which, which, what is the, I mean, obviously you're driving around a lot, but like in the actual livable space, what's the part that seems to be uh, what's the part that gives you the most headache?
1: Mm, well, I do it with my two cats and the cat hair is pretty annoying. Um But in terms of the build itself, hmm, that's a really good question. I would say it's just, it's annoying how much breaks in general. Like if it's not, you know, your, your faucet coming off, then it's your pipes freezing because it got below 32 Uh, to your, you being too high at elevation so that your heater doesn't work because like the carbon, you know, isn't good or, or like vans are kind of scary. Like I was in a van and the propane tank to her stove wasn't installed correctly and it blew up and we were in it. Um, it was terrifying. Like no one got hurt. Thank God. But like, Van life is just a trial and error of, okay, this works one day and this doesn't work. So I would say just van life in general is like the wear and tear of all of it.
0: Yeah, you, you, there must be some type of bravery of uh, sleeping so close to a propane tank every night. that to <laughs> be. I'm actually uh, getting. To,
1: I'm in the process of selling my current van, and I have a new van um, that I'm doing, and we, we eliminated the propane. <laughs> I don't want
0: propane. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think everyone who cares about you probably likes that decision. That probably is a it's a good thing. Uh, I was gonna. The other question uh, I was gonna ask is, um, you said that you were working with a lot of sponsors. How does that arrangement work? Do they find you? Do you reach out to them? And and what's that whole negotiation like when you are are, are working uh, with them? And what's the what's kind of like the expectation of how you kind of um, uh, blend in the content uh, t- uh, for them as well?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a big question. So okay, so let's see. I'll just name so the my kind of portfolio. I guess some of my favorite ones are like I've done the North Face, Bank of America, Under Armour, T-Mobile, Cliff Bar, Backcountry. New Neutrogena. And so how that process works is a couple different ways. So they initially will either DM you or they will send you an email with an official pitch. Um, If we're talking about, let's do like the North Face. Hey, here is um, our campaign that's coming up. Here are the deliverables. Um, so we would like one reel. We would like that reel also posted on TikTok. Um, and then we would like three stories. And so you kind of look at their deliverable list. And then you, they'll also say, I would like three months of usage across all our digital platforms. Um, and then the last piece of the puzzle is, and then we want you to be exclusive for one month after posting. So you look at all of those because each one of those is a payment. So you have payment for the deliverables. You have payment for the white listing or the ad that they want to create from your content. And then you have exclusivity as well because then you can't you know, be getting money from another brand during that month. Um, so then you go back to them and you say, okay, amazing. Would absolutely love to work with you. What is your budget for this campaign? Because based on your deliverables, this is what we're looking for, um, or this is you know the price that it's going to be around. Then you take that price. They go back. They're like, okay, you know, um, can you do this much? And you know, if you want to say yes, then say yes. If it's way too low and they have no budget, and you have to say no, then then you say no. My biggest thing is like knowing and understanding your worth. A lot of people who are new content creators. Um, Because I had eight years of marketing experience and we worked with influencers. Mm. So I already got the behind the scenes version of it, um, which I think is why I was also able to be so successful on the brand side up front when I first started is because I know how to look at contracts. I know how to charge what I'm worth because we were doing it already at the magazine for others. So once, um, so I always hate when people are like, oh yeah, I did this for free in hopes that we would do another campaign don't do that. (laughs) And I'm very like vocal about like if my friend approaches me in another space and she's like, Hey, this brand reached out for X amount of dollars. Do you think this is a good deal? I'll, I'll tell them yes or no, because I always think it's really important to just tell people what, you know, my rates or my like, you know, experiences just so I can help others make the money that they're worth as well. So once you, everything is agreed upon, they will then give you a brief Um, And sometimes they do it ahead of time. They'll give you a brief. So say it's the North Face. They're promoting a new campaign um, uh, or a new contest. So right now, if uh, you go to my IG, you can see how you could win um, a Winter Park Pass for this winter. So they'll tell you, okay, here is what we want you to promote. Here's your call to action, your CTA. And from there, it's, okay, promote this giveaway. We want to see people enter this giveaway. So great. Okay. Um, How do I want to do that? Okay. I want to go outside and adventure and have an adventure. And that's how I'll share with others like that they can have their adventure while trying to win a pass to Winter Park. So then from there, I'm just like, okay, how can I do this and make this successful for both parties while I also stay true to my content? Well, since I hike with my cats, I found a um, trail that was pet friendly at a national park. And then I went to that national park I did the, the shoot. Um, I shot it all by myself on a tripod and then I go back, I edit it in an app called splice and then I submit it to them. And then they tell me if they like it or they don't like it. And then I make edits based on that. So it's, it's a very hefty process. Um, over the last five months, I think I do have a manager. So now I went, I did about a year and a half of doing it myself. And now I have a manager, um, who I'm obsessed with. I, I am, um, under an agency called neon rose and they're amazing and they're the best decision I've ever done and made. So I love, so now my agent does all of that for me and they just simply present me the offer and I'll say yes or no. And then I'll make the content. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different Yeah.
0: Ones. So North face was one of your clients.
1: Yeah, I just—they're um, my current client. Yeah, so I have like a current. I mean, that's got to
0: be—I mean, no pun intended—that is like the top of the mountain for you, as like, like if you're an outdoorsy content creator for Van Life, getting North Face has got to be a, like, uh, congrats! That I—I I, I can't actually imagine a better client uh, for that. That's, that's I was actually in yeah.
1: Target when I found out I was getting. So I was leaving for Bali in—I think it was like 36 hours. And my manager calls me. She's like, we just got North face. And I'm like, you are kidding me. And she's like, do you think you can, you know, shoot before you go to Bali? And I was like, I don't even care if I think I can, I'm just going to figure it out. So I think it was like 10 hours before I flew to Bali, didn't have anything packed. I like was driving over to this national park. Cause I'm like, okay, this campaign will be amazing. I'm going to figure out how I can do this before I go to Bali for a month. Um, So yeah, so it's, and it also sometimes works like that too. Like you'll get a call tomorrow and they'll be like, okay, we need the content in 48 hours. Can you do that? And you're like, all right, yeah, let's do it.
0: So you, you're doing some traveling internationally and doing content creation for, uh, for yourself. Like you're, you're obviously not going to be doing van life in Mm -hmm. Bali. What, what, how, how do you then begin to, um, envision what you would give, uh, the people that follow you, uh, in such a way. I mean, I, you're probably not bringing your cats to Bali, right? I mean, exactly. someone else probably and, didn't do that. So, so yeah. So like, how do you, what's the, what's the muse for that? How do you, how do you create ideas, uh, for when you travel internationally?
1: I'm trying to figure that out because I am so stuck in rock and a hard place right now of the people want cats and van life and solo travel. But I'm going to Bali. So I think I'm going to double down on that I was in Bali alone. So I did host two trips. So 26 people from all over the world came to um, do a trip with me to Bali. Um, and I have two more trips that are upcoming. So I have one to Costa Rica in January and one to Morocco. that um, people from all over the world will come to that. Um, and right now, Morocco, I think, is sold out. And then Costa Rica, there are open spots. but But I think I'm going to go based on people, Bali is a very popular destination. So I'm going to, you know, tell people what to do, but in a way that it's not like, here's all the really touristy things that you can Google on how to do them. It's like, here's seven things I wish I knew before going to Bali and just provide them really good information on just like in general, how to travel as a solo person. Okay. I'm in Bali. Um, um, do I feel safe here? Yes, I do. So it's kind of tying in that one tiny niche of like solo travel, um, that, that I think that I'll like try to do my best on or like doing a video that shows me FaceTiming the cats while I'm in Bali or something. People would love that. I'm not there anymore, but like it would have been fun to do something like that.
0: That's great. Um, what's the ratio of you traveling and then having something that kind of resembles a home base where you come back to mm-hmm. in such a way I mean are you on the road constantly and and then like what is are you like is it a three-to-one mix like I'm on the road uh, you know doing this and then I, I come back to just get a breather and have a, a like nice home cook, cooked meal do the laundry or whatever it may be uh, in such a way or maybe there is no home base like what is what is that kind of uh, yearly calendar look like as opposed to like this is your daily schedule but like what's the yearly look like in terms of that ratio
1: I would say every so I'm on the road full time um and every 4 months I probably either end up stopping at my dad's house for a week um which he's in Colorado on the border of Utah and Colorado so it's really easy because I'm in Colorado for hiking all the time Utah for desert life all the time Or I have my, so so now that I have almost two years under my belt in van life, I know where the easy cities are. So I know that I can go to Moab and I can spend two weeks of total downtime, chill time in Moab because I know the laundromat. I know where to fill my water tank. I know where to dump my gray water. Um, I know where to sleep and I know where, you know, I can let the cats out and the cats will roam free. So there's those spots that are kind of like home bases. Like Bend, Oregon is a huge van life home base for a lot of um, people who live still in their vehicles, but it's just such an easy city or, Um, Oh, what's another one? Oh, outside of Zion. That's a great one. Like the Springdale Virgin area of Utah. That's another really good one. People love going to San Diego in van life because that's a big home base. So, um, I would say it's, it's a combination of probably like every two months I need some sort of stability. So I'll go back to places that I've already been Or, you know, every four months, I'll go back to my dad's house for like a week. Like right now I'm staying for two weeks because I'm making adjustments to my van. I have packages coming in um, and I just need to, you know, chill out for a second.
0: (laughs) You had to make some like serious material downsizes and and kind of go minimalistic with uh, various things that you had in your life prior to all that. What's the decision-making process like? Like, obviously, there are things that have great utility, and you're going to hold on to those things. But there are some things that are just nostalgic that you that may or may not make the cut. I was wondering if you can describe that because I mean, some people like their stuff, mm-hmm. but you to be to have, to do what you do, you have to kind of make uh, some hard choices. What's your decision-making process to do that?
1: Oh, it's I'm so bad with clothes. Um, sure. I probably gave up, I don't know, 80% of my wardrobe and, and I already had, you know, an insane wardrobe cause I just don't throw anything away or donate anything. Um, but I would say like, I, am a bit of a hoarder when it comes to like jackets and backpacks. I have them all over my van. Like I, and hats, like, I feel like I have like four backpacks in my van right now and I'm like one person, um, or just jackets. I think I have like 10 jackets in my van and I really just need two. Um, but in, but it was, I really liked the process of becoming, you know, minim, like minimizing everything I owned because it was almost kind of like a purge of my old life. Um, still a lot of my corporate clothes I keep in a storage bin in my dad's house. So that is still, cause I, I never know when I'm going to go back to corporate life or like need, you know, fancy clothes again. So I do keep that, but other than that, I've kind of purged everything and it was a really nice and enjoyful thing because now I don't have so many things. Like I felt like I really got caught up in the fast fashion world and in the grand scheme of things, like it just doesn't matter. I don't remember what anyone wore on any day and I never really think about anyone's like fashion anymore. So I'm really happy that it has taken me away from the fast fashion space.
0: Uh, I mean, that's, uh, you said sounds so, so liberating uh, to, to do that. So, you know, one of the things that you have mentioned previously is, you know, the idea that that it's important as a, a woman traveling alone, there are, um, there's some risks, you know, that you had mentioned that you want to be smart about how you do this, whether that is van life or, and, and all of that. Um, I was wondering, like, if you can kind of comment on like, what are those types of uh, ways in which you, how you see your travel uh, in that regard of like, you know, how great it is, but then what are the types of things that, that you look for to kind of minimize uh, unnecessary risk?
1: Yeah. So as a solo person on the road, I'll do a lot to protect myself. Not that I'm, I feel like I'm in a scary, riskful area, but I'll do things so that I could like avoid doing that. So for example, like if I'm at a camp spot, um, and you know, it's, it's, I I will always put two chairs out. So people know that there's always, you know, potentially two people with me or I'll put like men's boots outside of my van or some people will put, um, funny, not, not funny, but like NRA stickers and like veteran stickers Mm -hmm. on their vehicle. Um, just so that they think that, you know, a guy is living in the van. Um, or, you know, I never post on social media where I am. I always wait a couple of days. Um, you know, weapons could include, you know, pepper spray, a taser, wasp spray, you know, a bat with a sock on it. Um it's but you're always actively looking around. I feel like whenever I am in a new environment, I always have eyes everywhere. Um I always will say too, trust your gut if something seems off, it normally is. So just leave. Like the best part of living in a van is that you can drive away. Um, I haven't had that many scary situations. Um, I have had friends that have had scary situations and then they've just driven away. Um, and, and that's what's, you know, protected them. So, I mean, I feel safer living in a van than I did having the same routine in my Chicago apartment. Um, so, and that's the beauty of it is van life. Like you could be, you know, in, Utah in in four hours and no one would ever know where you're at so it really just depends I find van life to be very safe as long as you're not like like there was okay there was a uh, we were all at Starbucks a couple of months ago when we were in Montana and we were with some of the guys um in a photography caravan and this one got to chatting and he um at a Starbucks this stranger had asked well oh okay where are you guys staying in Glacier and obviously it seemed really innocent, but the guy told him exactly where we were staying. And I was like, Hey, just so yeah. you know, please don't do that again. Like, I totally understand that. Like you think it's totally fine and innocent, but with me being here, like just as a woman, like I don't feel very safe. And I don't think that I want to stay at this campsite anymore because you just told him our exact location. Not that he seems sketchy, but just avoid anything like anything that's avoidable. Avoid it.
0: Y- you, with your own eyes have seen things that can't be unseen of probably incredible natural wonder and beauty. What are, what's one of them and what's a place where you can never get tired of returning to?
1: Ooh, Okay. I have a couple. Um, I would say there is this place in Arizona called White Pocket and White Pocket is, I don't understand how it's out there. I don't understand what caused it. But it is stunning, and and my van can't get out there because it, I, I don't have four wheel drive, high clearance. So whenever I can get the opportunity to go with you know someone that has a Tacoma or a 4Runner, I will go. So White Pocket, and then I never get tired of Zion National Park. Um, I love that national park and Glacier National Park. Those are my two that are you go there, and every time you just feel so insignificant because you are just surrounded by massive mountains, um, and glaciers and crazy bodies of water. Um, so I would say those two are insane. And then it's insane to me that I can just live there for free. Like in Glacier National Park, I was just sleeping in one of the hotel parking lots. (laughs) Like it was easy and it's just free. Um, it's all free. Um, so I would say those three areas, I never, ever really stop.
0: One of the things that you had mentioned in the YouTube video was that, um, you, uh, you try to follow 80 degrees, uh, or below, uh, where you, and how you make your, uh, decisions, uh, with that, um, is, is, is there a, uh, is there a place that's like too hot where you won't go to and where's, where's your absolute like limit of where you go, where it's too cold?
1: Mm, so I don't like being really hot and it's, it's really too difficult with the cats. So Arizona is always a tough one to go to. Um, like the Phoenix and the Tucson area. The winter time is really the only time I can go there. Um, Death Valley, I've gotten into a bit of a weird situation there when it got really hot. Um, So I had to like pretty immediately leave. Um, But then too cold is I can handle the cold. My van can handle the cold. So this past winter, I do, I'm do. i a big snowboarder. So I was going around from mountain to mountain snowboarding in my van with my cats. And one of the days we were in Crested Butte in Colorado, and that's, I think, one of the coldest areas in Colorado, and it got to, like, negative 21. Um, mm. And I was, I mean, it, it was still fine. Like We had our electric blanket. We have a heater in the van that runs off my gas tank. Um, and then you, you can also do, um, like little Mr. Buddy heaters too. And you kind of just like take a bunch of sleeping bags and like put them up and over your, you know, windows, your doors, your sliding door, and you make a really nice, like little cozy area. So I would say too cold. I'm fine with the cold. I can make it work. Um, but too hot is too hot. I cannot make too hot work. And that's, you know, Arizona, Death Valley, those, those types of areas.
0: How do you choose where you're going to go next internationally? You said you're going to Morocco, Costa Rica, mm-hmm. back to Bali again. Uh, do you have any other kind of uh, places that are uh, on on the, on the list that you, you're thinking about going beyond there?
1: So I think um, – so I'm going to – I forgot about this one actually. I'm going to Japan. Um, when it opened up, when like all the news came out that Japan was opening again, a lot of the flights were really inexpensive. So I hopped on I think like last week really sporadically – And had decided, um, because the flights were only $500 round trip, and then they were nothing for points. I think it was like 40,000 points total trip. So I just booked it through credit card points. And so I'm pretty much going to Japan for free on on, uh, credit card points, just because everything is so low right now. And our dollar is significantly higher than, um, I think it's the yen. Um, and so you kind of look at it that way too. It's like, okay, where can our dollar go the farthest? And I want to go there.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. That is, that is so cool. Now, wh- how do you see like, um, your online presence, uh, evolving? Like, is it like, I mean, is there a, a time when maybe van life isn't going to be something that you're doing? You'll kind of like maybe venture into something else. Like, how do you know, or if, if at all that you, you, you know, that you'll go to the next thing. Like how, how have you made uh, certain assurances to yourself that you're like, yeah, it's time to move on. Or like, I don't want to keep on doing this. Cause it seems like there's a lot of um, you, you have a very kind of uh, artistic view of, of how you see how you you move forward with all that. But then you also have the realities of maybe, uh, you know, of, of where your, your clients are and all that. What's, what's the, what's the balance of that?
1: you know, and I'm currently trying to figure out if I need to do like a bit of a life audit again, but I'm thinking that the next year and a half I'll spend in the United States doing van life and then potentially flirt with the idea of doing van life or some type of travel internationally. Um, I have one of my friends, she is um, a 20 year old Solo woman van lifer. She is. She's been doing it for two years. She's one of my favorite people, and she is now moving to Europe to do van life. And I'm like in awe of her all the time. So I'm gonna kind of stalk her, um, her travels to see and go visit her, and you know rent a van out in the in the UK and parts of Europe to see how she likes it. Because I think that that would be a really great next step. Is I don't want to leave. Traveling, I don't want to leave, you know, the van life community quite yet, Um, but I want to see how it can be feasible in other countries. And I think that with the cats, like for example, like if if cats were allowed, pets were allowed in Bali, I probably would spend six months in Bali um, and then get an apartment, move the cats over Um, and then kind of be a digital nomad from there and and do trips. But in terms of the clients, that is one thing I don't quite know because some of my friends who they have United States agents and then they have agents in the UK. So um, I have to do more research, but I don't want to ever stop traveling. I don't see myself like settling down. And I definitely see the cats like still very much involved in like this lifestyle of, you know, continuing to travel. Cause the only, I mean, they, they were apartment cats before I um, moved into the van, but now inconsistency and in not having a structure is kind of like their MO now. Like that's what they're used to. I,
0: I always like ending the interview and you've given plenty of advice throughout the, this interview, but I, I like always like teeing it up this way. Um, what advice to current wildcats would you give them for success?
1: Ooh, okay. Let's think about this. Um, I would say there's a couple of things. So I would say try everything. Um, you don't know what you're going to like, what you're not going to like. See failure as an opportunity for success because now you know, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Um, don't have any expectations. I think that I have, a, I used to have a lot of expectations in life, and I would be really hard on myself if I didn't hit those certain expectations. And I think if you go in without any expectations, you are going to be just so much happier because you're going to be surprised every time with what happens. Um, and again, back to my like, you know, my uh, graduation cap is like life begins at the end of your comfort zone. If you're feeling Comfortable, then maybe do a couple different things to to make you uncomfortable to see how you learn from it, um, and know that like everything is always going to be okay. Like you, you everything will always be okay. No matter if it's not at that current moment, it will.
0: I, I I love that idea of what's on your that was on your graduation. So great. Well, Quinn, thank you so much. This was awesome. And I will make sure that everyone has access and links to all of your, your social media and, uh, and we'll, we'll be following you with great interest in the future. Thank you so much.
1: Amazing. Thank you. And thanks again for having me. This is fun.
0: Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform just search wego vox that's wego v o x you can also stay current by following us on facebook at wego places podcast or on twitter at wego places